0: Jim Rowan has a gowan podcast number X, X, like the Roman numerals, 10, X. It's a big one, so it was worth making a fuss about, and you know, if you're gonna make a fuss, do as the Romans do. Hope you missed me. I'm sure you didn't. But um, it's been a couple of weeks. It's been an unfortunate couple of weeks. I made the move. I'm in the new place. I've got a new setup. I've got new conditions to get used to. I've got new timetables to get used to. I'm recording this right now on a very nice Friday night. The 11th of November, incorrect. The 11th of December, after a few beers. (laughs) Which might interfere with my calendar reading abilities. Might already have done. So, it's a little bit late, but I've had an awful lot of wrestling to catch up on. And um, I haven't even had... I've actually only just gotten the internet installed and ready to go and activated and working and cracking and surfing earlier today. Uh, Maybe 12 hours ago at most. So it's not been... I've been hotspotting my mobile to make sure that I'm catching up on the wrestling. But I did have a really interesting break from all of it. And um, what I found was that, you know what, it was good. It was good to have a break because I watch this stuff and I really don't like it. I I have a lot to say about it that's negative, but uh, with this break, I've realized Uh, You know what, I actually do kind of like it I like it a lot, I missed it a lot I'm glad it's back I've watched a shit ton of this stuff So, what I want to do is talk about it I want to talk to you about it I want you to hear about it I want you to know what I think about it If you will So, uh, there's so much so much to get into I really shouldn't be doing a long spiel here before moving on uh, or moving right into it podcast 10 wrestle me weekly let's wrestle weekly folks now it wouldn't be a wrestle me weekly if we didn't start with new Japan strong so let's just go ahead and do it 21st. The 21st of November. That's where we're starting. New Japan strong in the LA Dojo. The first match was Clark Connors and the DKC versus Sterling and Logan Regal. So, one of the Regal brothers is too busy yelling at the zero people in attendance about how DKC is done. Instead of just focusing on hitting his move. And uh, that gives Clark Connors time to come in with a big shoulder barge uh, on the other brother. And then DKC hits a crucifix bomb on the loudmouth one to get rid of him. And then there's a dive to the outside to make sure. And then Connors taps the other regal brother with, what else? A double leg crab. So they pick up the win on that one. There was Rocky Romero and Rust Taylor. They go about 15 minutes, which is a fair chunk of this show. Rust wins with uh, what he calls a a Gaia lock. No, that can't be right. A Gaia lock. A modified head scissors armbar. Which I didn't really like the look of, actually. And then he does his one-legged pose with the help of the referee, because he holds up his arm and you can tell that Rust is using that to balance himself. You know, you could just stand on both feet and uh, raise an arm. But he hasn't figured that out yet. He's doing what he wants to do. Moving along quickly J.R. Kratos versus Jeff Cobb. You know what? I skipped through the last matches if it wasn't apparent. But this, this match, I wanted to see. However, that does also, of course, mean that I need to hear Kozlov's commentary, and I am. Serious, he needs to go. He has not improved in. Is it six months now? Six months? He's atrocious. He is. He's talking about the energy changing in this empty fucking gym with a dry monotone voice that the most gullible primary school kid in the world wouldn't buy. He actually he he, he he ruined the match. He ruined the match for me a bit. What's no, Cobb impressively lifts Kratos onto his shoulders for a slam. It's a bit laboured, but they make up for it with their big clashes. There's a tour of the islands that does not have the snap that it usually does, but it's extraordinary nonetheless. Taylor and Lawler run in to attack Cobb, but. Rossa runs in to even the odds, followed by Romero. All hell is breaking loose, says Kozlov <laughs> in a bored tone. Uh, Danny Limelight is next to the ring, and he attacks Rocky. Joining forces with Team Filthy. Filthy. he's Filthy. Filthy. PJ Black makes a save with a chair before much more can happen. Black offers him out 4-on-4 four four in sign language, and... That becomes a match no one wants to see. Next match, IWGP US Heavyweight Championship. Right to challenge contract. Kenta defending against David Finlay. They've got these short pre-recorded interviews. Finlay talks about wanting another shot at Kenta. Kenta brushes him off as light work. The briefcase we... So... Oh. Bad typing. The briefcase that we've come to uh watch we've come to understand come to see come to realize there's a mess in uh, real time over in japan over the course of the g1 appears here unaffected which just uh just lets you know from the start ooh, nothing's gonna happen in this one <laughs> no consequences to this battle uh so yeah anyway it doesn't take long for kent to cheat and it is set up in a contrived manner he rolls out of the ring he searches under the apron for a chair while the referee holds finley back for some reason don't don't you also leave the ring finley you stay here and cuz i mean finley just wants the match to get back on track he, he just he would i'm sure be leaving the ring to just pull Kenta back in, do the referee's job for him. But no, the referee gets involved and uh, makes sure to look the other way when Finley pokes his head through the ropes and gets smacked on the noggin for his troubles with a chair. I mean, Kenta did kind of peek into the ring to see what was going on, but it, it was such a we-plan-this kind of a spot. Once again, New Japan referees are dumb as bricks. So, anyway. There was a briefcase shot attempt from Kenta that Finley dodged and He hit a stunner, but the ref had taken a bump, so it's not counted. Sorry, counted. Kenta hits a low blow, GTS finishes him. Bang, good as that. Kenta says Finley got close, but he isn't as at his level. Oh, four beers was too many. This is a travesty, says Kozlov, completely void of emotional conviction in his words. What commentary. Thank you, Kozlov. UFC 255 took place on the 22nd of November in Las Vegas, and we had a rare Joe Rogan appearance run through this quickly we had uh, on the prelims Nicholas Dalby versus Daniel Rodriguez unanimous decision for Dalby uh, Antonina Shevchenko sister of the flyweight champion uh, defeated Ariani Lipsky with a TKO in the second round there was a middleweight bout between Joaquin Buckley who is the uh He's the guy that had that incredible knockout uh, in October that, um, you know, his first kick got caught and then he spun around and kicked the guy in the jaw with the other leg. He defeated Jordan Wright via KO in just 18 seconds of the second round. Uh, even though Wright was the his undefeated guy, he was a bigger guy. Um, but... Uh, he was in big trouble at the end of the first round. After falling to punches, he was saved by the bell. And it didn't take long for Buckley to connect in the second round. And uh, Wright just crumbled. After the fight, Buckley admitted that there was a lot of pressure created by the highlight reel knockout. But he wasn't just going to let anyone take his shine. And this was kind of interesting. He's his getting aggressive in his post-fight promo. And, um, he says, uh, like something to the effect of there's a guy that's calling out him and he wants to fight him, but he, at the same time, doesn't want to say his name. He doesn't want to say his name. And, uh, Rogan's trying to get him to say his name because that's his job. Um, and Buckley kind of shoots it back, "Well, do your homework. You know who it should, you know, you should know who it is. And Joe admits that he does know who it is. It's James Krause. He just wanted Buckley to say it. Um, Yeah, it was an interesting promo. And um, it was a much, I'll I'll say this much, it was a much better promo than it was, or than he gave after his incredible highlight reel knockout. So um, he's learning. That's good. Before we got to the main card, one more fight. Flyweight, Moreno, Brandon Moreno, defeated Brandon Royval with uh, TKO right at the end of round one. And it was because Roy Val dislocated his shoulder. So um, his coach popped it back in between rounds. I think if he had have made it just one more second, he might have been okay to continue in the second round. But at the same time, I mean, if it's already popped out once in the fight, it's bound to pop out again. So maybe better that he that he didn't continue. On the main card, we Paul Craig against Mauricio Shogun Hua and Craig won with uh, TKO end of round two, or well, toward the end of round two and it, he pretty much dominated the whole fight both on the feet and in grappling. Hua is, I don't know, he, he shouldn't be fighting anyone that's serious about this anymore. Uh, all respect to him. At a flyweight, we had Caitlin Chikagian against uh, Cynthia Calvillo, and Chikagian got the win uh, in dominant fashion. I mean, it's a unanimous decision. Everyone scored it three rounds to nil for Chikagian, who knocks out another potential contender, just making that division super boring. That's cool. We had a catchweight fight. Tim Means defeated Mike Perry via unanimous decision. This was kind of funny. Mike walked out to the wrong song, which, while he's walking out, he's like, what is this song? It's uh, Halo, by the way, by Beyonce. He knows it, so he starts singing it anyway. He's got his pregnant girlfriend who's accompanying him to the ring. Uh, But not mentioned is his other corner person who paid for the spot and talked about it on Reddit. So there's the, I think, I guess it, might, it would have been, oh, I don't know if it was the MMA sub or the UFC sub, but well, he's probably a member of both. There was a guy from Reddit that, uh, I think it was like $10,000 he paid to be in Perry's corner. And I think they didn't, um, they couldn't play it up because I don't think the UFC was all that happy with the idea. Or maybe the commission or maybe both. Uh, Which makes sense. I mean, as much as UFC are okay with being in show business, I think the idea that the corner men are just like paying to be there and they don't need to be there and the safety of the fighters isn't paramount, that's a step further. So I understand why they wouldn't want to make a big deal of that. Um... Anyway, so as far as the fight went, Means starts to piece Perry up with quick jabs and quick one twos, um, and he's he's really kind of just the better fighter. They go toe to toe the third, and it's I mean it's close, but Perry's face is definitely the worse for wear. And um, when Means gets his hand raised, he admits that he felt disrespected by Perry, who was on social media eating cheeseburgers, not taking him seriously, and, um, well, Perry suffered for it. He missed weight, and it wasn't a great performance, so he really needs to get his act together, frankly. And then there was a couple of uh, title fights. So we had um, uh, Valentina Shevchenko, the flyweight champion, defeating Jennifer Meyer in a unanimous decision and the other flyweight champion, uh, Figueiredo, defeated Alex Perez via submission, a guillotine, uh, just a couple minutes into round one. It was a crazy scramble that led to the guillotine, too. It was a fun fight while it lasted, uh, which is a reputation Figueiredo was quickly gaining. Uh, which is a sentiment at the press conference that Dana White echoed. He said he's fun to watch, and he wants to turn him straight around to face Brandon Moreno, uh, who defeated Brandon Royval uh, in the undercard? Shevchenko and Andrade is next in the female flyweight division. Um, said Dana, which is I predicted that already on. I don't know if it was the last podcast, but something recently, and I'm couldn't be happier. That's a fun fight. Looking forward to it. Uh, Dana says Shogun should retire. Uh, he says he likes watching Perry fight and he doesn't really seem to have any intention of letting him move on despite some pretty concerning issues that he's having. Uh, Dana's interested in the Buckley-Kraus fight. So I think there's a weight division between those guys, but I guess they're going to try and make that happen. Uh, he has considered a women's atom weight, sorry, atom weight, division, unlike the, um, whatever the division would be called between lightweight and welterweight. Super lightweight, maybe? Whatever. Yeah, well, he's considering that division anyway. Uh, He says that Anderson Silva was released from his contract, and he's working on having fans in attendance in Abu Dhabi for the McGregor-Poirier fight. Um, but he says... It's either going to be a full arena or no one. Like a full arena or he's just going to do it in Vegas. He doesn't want to do a half arena. So the fight of the night was a fight that I didn't actually go through. So I guess maybe that happened on the five pass prelims. But I can't pronounce the names, so I'm not going to bother. performance of the night was Joaquin Buckley and uh, Antonina Shipshanko. So there you go. On the 23rd, there was a WWE Survivor Series from the Amway Center in Florida, which I didn't watch, but it was the retirement ceremony of The Undertaker. Uh, I think it marked 30 years in WWE for him. And yes, it did. Making his debut at the 1990 Survivor Series event. So, it was the show's final segment. Shane McMahon comes out, Big Show comes out, Bradshaw comes out, or JBL. Uh, Jeff Hardy, Mick Foley, The Godfather, The God Wins, Savio Vega, Rikishi, Kevin Nash, Booker T, Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, Triple H, and Kane all entered the ring to kick off the ceremony. There was a video package. Uh, Vince McMahon came down, shared a message for The Undertaker, and then he came out confirmed his retirement and uh, said that it's time that he rest in peace Um, did the pose an image of Paul bearer like a hologram showed up they told the gong the bell whatever ten times and the Undertaker has retired again that's it okay Um, And then on the 23rd was Best of Super Juniors. And I haven't actually addressed this. I'm not doing these New Japan shows. I am going to do Best of the Rest, all the stuff I've watched. Well, I mean, look, even, even if I wanted to, I haven't watched these shows. So the way I've decided to do it is... I will just do like a miscellaneous, all the stuff that I haven't watched, catch up on everything I can, talk about it here. That's week one back. That's week 10. That's week X, Uh, podcast X. And then next week, I think I'll probably binge the Best of Super Juniors and then the following week I'll binge the Tag League and I can just do comprehensive coverage of the tournaments as a whole which I think would be pretty cool and uh, can you know just do a little extra on the end but um, you know for anything else I watched but yeah that's the reason I'm skipping the New Japan shows apart from strong unfortunately but uh, the next one in line is MLW Fusion this is number 111 111 And it's the 2020 Opera Cup opening round, TJP taking on Richard Holiday, who is a guy really, 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 really pretty, pretty, I like Holiday, Um, and his douchey airpods. I think he's a fun promo, I don't think his matches are that fun, but um, still, you know, that's not to say he's bad, he just isn't bringing anything to the ring that I need to see, necessarily. Except his AirPods. So, yeah. Holiday beats TJP with a spine buster, followed by the market crash, which is the name of his move. And it might crash a market if they were banking on that move looking good. (laughs) That's a good one. Holiday advances regardless, but it is unlikely that he gets past the winner of Loki and Davey Boy, which is the other... Opening round uh, opposite this one in the bracket. Leo Rush appears on the show. He's a rapper, I guess, because he's in a music studio. Uh, uh, Actually, he's a rapper because he's in... Why am I assuming he's a rapper? That is problematic. He could be an opera singer or a podcaster. Probably wants to be a rapper. But uh, anyway, he suggests he is interested in a title match. And then he chases the cameraman out of the studio before failing at slamming the door. And apparently he's going to debut on the 23rd of December at MLW Kings of Coliseum. Calvin Tankman versus Robert Marta not much of a match, but I do enjoy a squash. It's the Tankman driver that comes after some crumpling blows and slams on poor wee Robbie. And, um, I've talked about Tankman on here before. I know I have, because he was a big superstar at Bloodsport. Everyone loved him, got a big pop. And he says after this match, he calls, uh, well, he doesn't specifically call out the champion, but he does say that his goal is to become the MLW champion. Speaking of big fellas, there's this uh, huge masked man that attacked Alexander Hammerstone last week. And when I say last week, of course, I'm quite a while back in this. Last time I did a podcast, I would have talked about this. Uh, they've got a list of injuries for Hammerstone. It's... um. Uh, There was a ribs contusion, a hyperflexion of the neck, and transverse myelitis, which is, I know, I know, I know what all of those mean, but I'm not going to waste my time trying to explain it to you. So we'll move straight on to the other opening round match of the 2020 Opera Cup, Tom Lawler versus Rocky Romero. This time, Dominic Garini is the banner bearer for Team Filthy. And this was a pretty fun match, despite Romero being involved. Um, Not that I dislike Romero. He's just kind of... um, How should I put it? Romero is a poster boy for matches that don't matter, is what I would say. Uh, He's also rather insulting by the way as a choice of an njpw representative in this tournament but still i mean it's a physical match it's very technical it's not at all contrived in the ways that so many matches you know end up going or fall into the traps of and uh, both guys were creative with their techniques there was some well there was a, a great scramble that ended it With Lawler sweeping Romero into the Gato... Well, it wasn't the Gato Clutch, but it was that Gato Clutch-like pin. And uh, Lawler cuts an angry promo after the match, after having won... ...about being left out of last year's tournament, and asserts he will be champion of this one. So that is the end of the first week of wrestling that I've missed in a while. Uh, And we are back (laughs) at New Japan Strong... It's the 28th of November, and it opens with Logan Regal versus Clark Connors. Sterling follows Logan to the ring. The DKC is with Connors. Kozlov is fully playing into being an absolute moron now, pretending he doesn't realize that these guys are twins. They have a fine, young line-like match that ends in what else? A double leg crab. Connors goes over Regal of the Logan variety. Then there was Adrian Quest and Jordan Clearwater versus Juice Robinson and ACH. I uh you know what 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 I noticed from this match was that they really should be treating Juice like the star of this show. I mean, a lot of the strong roster are experienced guys that are very good but in japan they would have they would have to go through the dojo they'd be treated like young lions for a while and the fact that juice is even having a match with these guys is not making the best use of juice i would also argue it's not what's best for the show people love juice Especially the people bothering to watch this show, more likely than not, love Juice. Uh, and of course, you know, you can't have everyone at a similar level. Juice is here selling with these guys, having a reasonably even match with these guys. You need top guys, you need middle guys. I think Juice should be a top guy on this show. And I'm not even a Juice Mark by the way. He's alright, I like him, he's a good, solid mid carter for New Japan, but, um, yeah, I don't know, I feel like he should be steamrolling his way toward a title shot, a US title shot. Not to make everyone, I guess at the same time, you don't want to make everyone look like a joke, but, um, but, you know, it's okay for some of these guys to look weaker than Jews, Uh, ACH ends up getting the win in this match, by the way, he, um, I mean, I don't know, I think I was too busy wondering how I would book Juice to really pay too much attention to the match. The, uh, main event on this one was Tom Lawler, JR Kratos, Rust Taylor, and Danny Limelight versus Jeff Cobb, Fred Rosser, PJ Black, and Rocky Romero. And there's a back and forth between Filthy Tom and Jeff Cobb. They're individual interviews, but they're spliced together for a, a pre fight promo package. And Cobb's a babyface with me for wearing a Stan Hansen t shirt. But in December 2020, which we're not up to yet, actually, in November 2020, Jeff Cobb is a heel. He's here just baby-facing it up with the baby-faces. Speaking of heel turns, uh, Limelight. This is his first match with the Team Filthy. and It's not a bad match. Nothing particularly notable about it either, though. It ends with the rear naked choke. Lawler on Romero. The team Filthy's a decent heel faction. I, you know what? It'd be a good one for Juice to run through. Anyway, they celebrate together backstage. And funnily enough, Tom corrects me. He says they're not a a faction. They just happen to be the best four fighters with individual goals that brings them together somehow. He doesn't expand on that. I'm not sure what that means. It sounds like they're a faction. A good one. A good one for Juice to run through. Push Juice, damn it. All right. Then we had... Uh, another UFC, and an absolute colossus of a card. There was a heavyweight bout scheduled between Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis, but uh, it was just the day before Blades tested COVID. He tested COVID. Is that one of those new Bradgelina words? He tested positive for COVID... And um yeah, and then at the weigh-ins as well, this is rather less significant in terms of the card, but Viana weighed in uh four point five well I guess that's really three point five pounds over the limit uh for women's bantam weight. So it went ahead at catch weight. Ashley Evan Smith picked up thirty percent of her purse which is probably about a hundred bucks. And sh- did I see that? I don't think I even watched this card, but Viana beat Ashley Evan smith So uh, Ashley dominated Ashley Evan smith 30 to 26 on all the judges' scorecards. So that was one of the fights on the main card. There was Jonathan Pearson defeating Kai Kamaka, third. The third. Kai Kamaka. Okay, I guess that's a repeatable name. Um, he won with TKO, round two. There was a featherweight bout between Bill Algio and Spike Carlisle. There's another cool name. Unanimous decision. Parker Porter beat Josh Parisian. Another unanimous decision. Well, to wait, Miguel Beza defeated Takashi Sato with an arm triangle choke in round two. And then the main event, Anthony Smith defeated Devon Clark via submission, a triangle choke at 2 minutes 34 of round one. And Smith's look a very likable guy, a very well-spoken guy, but he didn't say anything interesting, bless him. And it just uh, kind of was... Indicative of the card in in some ways. Um, Mostly in that it was not interesting. The entire card. Uh, The performance of the night, though, went to Anthony Smith, Michael Beza, and um, a couple other, I guess, more undercard fighters. Um, But yeah, I mean, I only kind of really skipped through this to find some highlights, and I feel like I missed exactly nothing. A bit more hyped though, was a an event on the 29th as well. Triller Boxing pay-per-view out of the Staples Center in Los Angeles with Snoop Dogg on commentary. We had the main event of Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. going at it in their 50s. Who didn't want to see that? Well, it turns out they got over a million pay-per-view buys as far as I... Uh, I don't know if they have a... I won't bother looking it up now, but I don't know if they have a a a figure they've rested on at this point, but it sounded like the pay-per-view did very well. I personally watched it. Oh, excuse me. Oh, I should cut that out. No, that's all right. No one's listening. Uh, yeah, watched it at my new local pub, which is a short stroll away, so that's pretty cool. Um... And I didn't really... I wasn't in a good seat, or I didn't care to be in a good seat until the main event. And you know what? I actually didn't even go to the pub. I just went for a late lunch. I was doing moving stuff. I completely forgot this was even on, but it was on all the TV, so I thought, all right, let's hang around and watch it. But the um, undercard was... Bado, Badoo, B Badoo. Badoo Bado, Bado, Bado Jack. Badoo Jack. I think it's Bado. but Badoo Jack. I don't know. I've heard that name before. I think he's a Mayweather guy. He's light heavyweight, uh, defeated Blake McKernan by a unanimous decision after eight rounds. There was the cruiserweight bout between Jake Paul, who is the younger brother of that uh, YouTuber, Logan Paul. And I think he's a YouTuber himself. Oh no, again. And Nate Robinson, who I'm even less familiar with, uh, is a basketballer. A 36-year-old basketballer taken on Jake Paul is probably like 25 or something like that. And sounds like just as much of a dickhead as his brother, by the way. But um, I don't know what the back and forth between these two was. And I guess I can't say I'm really aware of the significance of that feud, of that promotion leading into this. So um, I'd be interested to know how they contributed to the pay-per-view buys. But Robinson was out of his depth in this fight. He got dropped a couple of times in the first round and then he got dropped a couple of times in the second round and that was it. I mean, and and it got to that stage and people were really critical of the referee and his corner for not stopping it earlier. So, that really tells the story. But since this event, by the way, speaking of Logan Paul and Mayweather, they're going to fight on pay-per-view. I think it's in February and that's that's done. That's set up. Like, they've got pre-orders for the pay-per-view up and ready to go. So, I don't know how that gets sanctioned. Um, You've got a YouTube kid that's, you know, in fairness, a, a good athlete. But there's a difference between a good athlete and one of the greatest fighters of his generation. So... Yeah, okay. Maybe they do it in Japan or something, but um this is a really weird direction boxing appears to be taking. Um not not uh never be- before seen. I I'm not saying that, but it uh yeah, this and I think is it fair to say of the modern era of this occurring that Conor McGregor Conor McGregor is the one that kind of started this with with Floyd Mayweather. So, thanks, Conor. Well, you know what? I don't mind. Anyway, speaking of it, heavyweight bout, Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. It was considered a split draw after eight rounds. Rather controversially, but also inconsequentially because it's just an exhibition. Uh, Most pundits scored the fight for Tyson, and it was better than expected, you know. I mean, they both showed glimpses of their former selves, and uh, it didn't come across as just like a sparring match, although there were no knockdowns, Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was only eight rounds. It was two minutes per round rather than three. Tyson said he wants to do it again. Uh, Roy Jones Jr. seemed less keen, but he kept his options open uh yeah the the commentary was i i I couldn't really hear the commentary very well in the pub but um from what i can remember he was kind of shitting on it not snoop dogg snoop oh well maybe snoop dogg was as well but everyone loves snoop dogg by the way um i didn't hear enough of it but uh yeah there was i don't know i just remember toward the end him saying like Well, they really aren't anywhere close to what they used to be. And uh, this is slowing down here. Like, he's. I don't know. I appreciate his honesty on commentary. Like, it's refreshing in a way because, you know, you listen to these wrestling commentators and they're all, you know, telling you that their world championship is the most important title in the world. In front of thirty people, but um, yeah, just I don't know. I think you, I think you can find some middle ground there. Uh, speaking of wrestling, there's more of it, and uh, there's a bit of a new one here. We've moved into December. It's the second of it. NWA Shockwave Episode One. So this is Billy Corgan's NWA revival. I liked 10 pounds of gold. I liked power. So I'll give this show a little love here. We've got Eli Drake having a nothing match against nobody, but he's always fun to watch. He's an interesting character. Camille is in ridiculous shape. She looks like an action figure. She takes on Heather Monroe, who has a large, bald drag queen with her, called Halston Body, and he looks like an interesting manager, but he can't manage to keep Camille from victory. Huh. A spear does the deed for Camille. It is a good job she won because Monroe is pretty bad. And then we had uh, Aldous and Bennett both cutting pretty good promos before their championship match later in the show. Maria's left out of frame for Bennett's promo. He comes out in a B-Real top. Well, there's B-Real written on his top, which is a Tyson throwback, speaking of him. Um, Both men are in great shape, by the way. Apparently, these matches happened in September. So, um, I mean, I've got a lot of stuff to catch up on here. So, here's my NWA plug NWA exists, everyone, so my conscience is clear. Aldous wins with a clover leaf. Bennett passes out while in the hole, either due to pain uh, caused by the submission or perhaps pain caused by Maria and her screams. Next, MLW fusion on the 3rd of December. In Once again, coming from you from some empty warehouse. More Opera Cup opening round matches. ACH defeated Laredo Kid via pinfall with a Brain Buster. Um, he cuts an odd promo afterwards. He's an odd guy, so that's fine. He calls himself the new game. As in, like, you know, the game, Triple H. He kind of referenced there was an old game and that he's a new game. Um. Which, by, I mean, that's what wrestling's about. Just stealing cool names and the game's a cool name. Although, Jay Lethal got the better version of that name, the franchise. Uh, Mads Kruger is the big masked man that attacked Hammerstone uh, back, I don't know what it is now, a couple weeks ago. As of this writing, well no, not as of this writing, when this show happened. Um, but tonight they feed him Ariel Dominguez, who is all of five foot five and maybe sixty kilos, hundred and forty pounds. and so he gets thrown around for a couple minutes and that's it. Another tip top squash match from MLW. And then some masked guys come out and drag Ariel into a body bag. So that's his night. Opera Cup opening round uh, match is the main event. Davy Boy Smith versus Low Key, a uh, a rematch from last year's Opera Cup, and the tale of the tape is just as unparalleled as it was then. Davy Boy dominates a thoroughly map-based affair. Smith goes for a power slam, but Key holds on to the ropes with his uh, toes and backpacks onto Smith. Locking in a choke that nearly ended the match in his favor last year. Smith tries to flip Loki over, but Key holds on, rolls Smith up, pins him down, and wins the match. And it kind of came out of nowhere because it was Loki doing most of the selling for very much most of that match. So it's Opera Cup redemption for Loki, and the champion drops out. David Boy was champion last year. But uh, the former champion shows us shows his sportsmanship by uh, raising the arm of the winner. Lowkey will now take on Richard Holiday in the semi-final, while ACH takes on Tom Lawler. So hoping to see Lawler versus Lowkey in the cup final. Oh, look at this! This is something new, something interesting, something different. Glate is back. G-L-E-A-T, the uh, UWF revival of sorts. So I I don't, I mean, it would have been, I'm going to stop referring to the last podcast because I can't get my head around how many weeks ago they might have been, but I know that I've spoken about Glate before. I watched a whole card. Well, actually, no, I didn't. I didn't really watch the whole card, but I kind of skipped through a whole card. Uh, now they're, they've they released a single match. It's um, through the translation. I've got it down to Experimental UWF Rules Match 1. And um, this one's between Soma Watanabe and Mitsuya Nagai. The show, or like the clip, it's just on YouTube, is bookended by commentary or talking heads um, I didn't pay much attention to it, I know Tamura was there, um, I know Hayashi was there, there was someone else, I don't know, maybe he's the commentator, the other one, I, I didn't pay attention to it, because I can't understand them, so I just skip straight to the match, but, um, and they provide commentary for the match as well, so I don't know if that adds something to it, but, um, well, I'm, it does, it adds something to it, but, it's lost on me. So they have the five points up in the corner for each corner, the five points per corner, per fighter, in the uh, corner of the screen. The camera angle's an odd one. It's like a, it's a balcony view. Not not top down, but like side, top, down. There's, there's a couple other cameras in use as well, uh, but that's the main one. Uh, it's a mat based start, realistic grappling, at least in terms of techniques. Watanabe um, reaches for the ropes over and over, leaving him with just one point remaining while Nagai has retained all of his. This sparks Wantanabe into a flurry of strikes and a German suplex that downs Nagai and costs him his first point, despite him beating the 10 count. It's a down, so that's a point taken off. The bell rings shortly after that though, due to a very unique takedown that I guess was considered a down on Wantanabe and ended the match, uh, unless there was some kind of submission from Wantanabe that I missed, but it was a short, but it was kind of, it was an interesting match. It was all right. Now, from the Barely making news, probably no one knew about it, to the everyone knew about it, AEW Winter is Coming. Yes, I had to check it out. Even I must check out this AEW card when they do something like this. Although having said that, I just skipped through the first part of it. So, Orange Cassidy and MJF are the two remaining in the opening battle royal, and then Jericho beats Kazarian despite the inner circle being in shambles. So Jericho gives them all a dressing down and says after the match they're going to be breaking up next week unless they can fix the team. I don't know how they go about that. Rhodes and Allen team up. Well, I should be more specific, I suppose. Cody Rhodes and Darby Allen team up against Starks and Hobbs of Taz's FTW faction, I guess, um, Darby beats Ricky, with the coffin drop, but the heels continue the attack after the match, including an attack on Cody's manager, Arn Anderson, when they've got Cody up, and ready to strike with the belt, I think, the lights go out, and it's ding, it's, a. Uh, Shame there wasn't a real pop for this, but um, it was a, uh, I mean, the, the the fans in attendance go nuts and Tony Schiavone uh, goes nuts, which is fun. But um, it was a really cool entrance. Like the uh, visuals were great. They had, in keeping with this winter theme, the Like kind of, I mean, it was a pretty, I don't know. I think, It was probably kind of a contrived video package, but it wasn't bad. It was just kind of that, ooh, look at these, you know, snowy landscapes. And then, I don't know, it's just one of those things that's like 101 video editing. But it looked very nice. And, you know, there's a crow in a couple of the clips here and there. And then Sting's name shows up and it's a cool song and it had the um, uh, 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 snow effect in the arena so you could see it sticking to poor old Steve's thinning hair but um, yeah he kind of comes out and the heels bail and he goes and squares up against all the all four baby faces in the ring and that's kind of it like yeah and then we, we get a little notification that uh, Sting speaks next week. But the main event is the real reason I was here. Actually, no, I heard about Sting too. I wanted to see that. But AEW World Championship match between Kenny Omega and Jon Moxley. Let me just fix that up there. And there's a 60-minute time limit on the match. And if it were to go beyond normal television time... AEW have said the TNT will stay with the action until the end. Don Callis joins the commentary team and explains his connection with Omega, describing him his family. Moxley gets the backstage walk into the back of the arena as part of his entrance. He's walking past all those empty seats. Omega is 7-0 and in singles action, having been largely a part of the tag division this year, while... Moxley is 21-0 and 0 in 2020. It's a good match. There's some wrestling, there's some brawling. Uh, Moxley is the first to hit his finish, but Omega kicks out of it. Moxley tries to dive out at Omega, only to eat a knee. That That spot was pretty cool, because I actually looked to see if Moxley caught his toe on the rope or something, because when he hit that knee, he came to a dead stop. It looks really good. Uh and he hits a few more knees, by the way, as um Omega is prone to them. Uh he is able though to reverse the one-winged angel. Omega does a rainmaker pose and hits a ripcord V trigger, then hits Kreutz Wrath instead, rather than the one winged angel, because it's got the same setup. Um which is a stupid setup, unless you have the one-winged angel, by the way. Because I know he used to use Kreuz as his finish. And it's like, just use, just do a German suplex. What difference would it make? But it makes sense when you've got the one-winged angel and you're faking him out. Moxie hits another DDT. This time it's a, uh, oh yeah, it was into a heater at ringside. Because it was cold, because it's snowing inside. Uh, they have heaters at ringside. Any kind of i mean it looks like crap it just basically looked like a a little um double underhook suplex a uh kanuki suplex if you will shout out to Yuya, Uemura. uh but yeah, so he hits the omega hits the heater at ringside and the referee goes over to him, pulls him away, calls over a doctor uh callus goes over and stays at ringside as Moxley gets fed up with this, ignores the referee, pushes him out of the way, throws Omega back into the ring. Callis tries to stop him, grabs a mic, but gets pushed over, and as Callis falls down on the apron, the mic is dropped to Omega, who, when Moxley turns around, clocks him in the head with this microphone, and it busts Moxley open, Kenny hits a V trigger without his knee pad. He pulls down the knee pad. He hits it four brutal times before the one winged angel in the center of the ring. And there is a new, a third, I believe, AEW World Champion, Kenny Omega. Callus rushes Omega out of the ring. JR's calling it a screw job. This was a bit overdone, to be honest. I mean, all he did was use. I mean, I. So I guess a part of this in the, in the build up was that uh Moxley the, the the match that they had was I think it was the lights out match that they did months ago at one of the pay-per-views and um this one was a builder's well you know omega saying you can't beat me in a straight wrestling match. So of course that means that he's the one that cheats. But it was just, I mean, it was good in that it was just one strike with the weapon, like making the weapon strong. Um, And he didn't, And it was just kind of, you know, that was the turning point even rather than the finish. He hit his knees, he hit the finish. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it's, this happens all the time on AEW. It's not even like this is a, AEW, uh, being the victim of other people's terrible booking, AEW does his shit, I'm pretty sure, so I don't know why they had to rush out of the arena, um, I guess because the title's on the line, that makes it a big difference, but, or, I don't know, is Moxley just so loved by the people, or, whatever, anyway, they rush out, there's a waiting car, and, um, a microphone catches up to them, that, uh, What's his name? Used to be on NWA. Well, was it? No, not him. The. Oh, it doesn't matter. Some guy catches up to Callus and says, you know, like, what's going on? Like, explain yourself. And Callus says that they'll tell everyone what happened on Tuesday. What? On Tuesday? But Dynamite's on Wednesday. Well, he's going to tell the world on Tuesday. Axis TV. Impact Wrestling, cross-promotional angle. So we'll get back to that when it comes up. Is it actually New Japan Strong again? Oh my God, okay. That's week two, folks. Week two. We know a new week has dawned when I get to complain about Alex Kozlov. So once again, we start with the Regal twins and Kozlov calls them Regal Sterling and Regal Logan. And he asks, how can they be twins with different surnames? And this is jumping the shark. In a different way, in a new way. Because I've hate, unfortunately, hate is a strong word. I wouldn't say I've hated Kozlov from the start. I've hated his commentary from the start. Eventually, that turned into hate for the man himself. But from day one, he's been bad. And recently, I've taken a slight, a tinsy, tiny, ever-so-slight liking to the idea that he is now embracing how bad he is by leaning into it and trying to be a bit funny with it. But it's like two weeks into that, and he's already gone over the top just ruining that fleeting promise that he had. He knows their names. If he didn't, he should be fired. They can bring in one of the fans and they would probably do a better job. (sighs) Sterling goes over DKC. That's the match. It was a powerful counter to an uh, Oma Plata crossface. DKC had him in a crossface. And I mean, it wouldn't have worked on a larger man, but he just kind of powers back, bridges up, I guess, powers back, switches the momentum, earns a pin. And uh, the brothers backstage are a terrible promo, individually and collectively. We won't go into that. Blake Christian versus Alex Zane. I heard Alex Zane got a WWE contract. I don't know if that's real. And I don't care enough to look it up and confirm. I just heard that on the grapevine. Um, maybe I just heard that he was wrapping updates, and that appears to be the case. I don't know. But uh, if that's the case, I can't imagine them doing anything with him. I mean, I hope he makes a ton of money sitting on his ass. Because these guys are pretty good. I mean, I'm not... I'm a bit of a Blake Christian fan. But... I don't know. I mean they're good, it's just whatever. They're kind of real New Japan strong guys, unfortunately. Um so they just need a little pizzazz behind some of these guys, that's all. Uh they uh yeah, I don't really have time for this show. So they there was some kind of like pump handle driver that ends up obtaining the win for Zane. And then there was oh my god. Kenta, Hikaleu, Tamatonga, Tangaloa, and Jay White versus Carl Fredericks, ACH, Brody King, Dave Finley, and Juice Robinson in an elimination tag match, but it includes over-the-top rope eliminations. Now, first out is Hikaleu, which is a satisfying surprise. But from there, this match is such a bore. Like, I really tried. I thought, oh, wow, you know that's, that's cool, getting rid of him. But no, this match sucked. And it made me angry, too, because in the face of tradition, in the interest of fresh beginnings, I watched this last before this recording rather than first when my recording would be happening as these shows would go to air. And the low it left me on is not appreciated. So, if the start of this podcast was not to your liking, blame this episode of Strong. Although, I just so I, that's by the way exactly why I just I gave up and skipped to the end. So the it's Kentor and King at the end, and a Ganzo bomb. Pretty quickly ends it. So it was Brody King just I think it was Tangaloa he eliminated. And then he turns around, and it's him and Kenta, and it doesn't take long. Brody King hits a Ganzo bomb and pins Kenta, which I was very surprised by. But that's a guy, that's definitely a guy they should be pushing as well. That's a dude with a look, god damn. He keeps his promo short, he makes it clear he wants that briefcase. Uh, he calls out Kenta. Pretty cool. Good ending. All right. We're toward the end here. what are we? be? An hour in. Okay. Yeah, just a couple other things to run through. So there's a UFC card, UFC on ESPN, again from Las Vegas, at lightweight. This was on the 6th of December, by the way. Jordan Levitt defeats Matt Wyman. Matt Wyman. What a blast from the past. What's he been up to? Where has he been fighting? I looked it up. He's been fighting in the UFC. He's fought three times in the last 18 months for the UFC. After a five-year break from the UFC. This guy's been fighting for the UFC and no one else since 2006, the glory years. But, um this modern UFC is not so kind to him because Jordan Levitt may as well have been yawning when he just walked straight over picked him straight up and slammed him straight down and that is the match that is the whole fight he was really cool and casual about it like he um he's it was cool of him not to throw a punch he recognized that Wyman was out um but yeah 20 seconds into round one and uh Leavitt was making his debut and he's oddly like really oddly friendly for a fighter. He seems almost squeamish at the sight of his own knockout in his post-fight promo um, and then Wyman would go on to retire after this fight. At light heavyweight we had Roman Dolidze defeating John Allen. more names like that, please John Allen. Split decision, although the commentators were confused how anyone judged this for Alan. At lightweight, Gabriel Benitez defeated Justin Janes at four minutes into the first round. It was a TKO. And Benitez just peppered Janes with punches and kicks. But it was a huge knee to the solar plexus that sent Janes flying. And it was over with that, although he did follow up with punches and elbows. Um, and Benitez is really emotional after the fight explaining that his boxing coach had just passed away Um, so I don't know I don't think I made a note of the bonuses hopefully he got one that was a cool finish I mean it was not cool for James it looked really painful Um, the way he got like he got kneed in the chest and was just kind of launched yeah the commentators were Cringing at that one. There's another catchweight fight. No one can make weight in Las Vegas. Uh, Couple couple pounds over. Jamahal. Jamahal. Hill. Jamahal. Hill. Gosh. Defeated OSP. Hold on. I thought OSP went to heavyweight. He's back at light heavyweight. Maybe he just took the fight. On short notice or something. I don't know about this one. Didn't I swear OSP went to heavyweight? Oh, well, yeah. So, Jamahal beat him. He didn't knock OSP down at the end, but he was just stringing. It was probably a couple of dozen unanswered strikes he strung together before the referee's just like, okay, that's it. And it was fine. It was a good stoppage. And then the main event... Was it middleweight? Marvin Vittori defeated Jack Manson. Un- unanimous decision. 49-46 uh, well, on two of the judges' scorecards and then 49-45 on another. Which, um, yeah, Vittori was ranked 12th and uh, Jack is number four. So this is a bit of a surprise. Vittori drops Jack in the first round with the left hand. He stays on top for the rest of the round. And he controls a lot of the second two um, from on top. But in round three and four, the fight stays on the feet. And it's just it's Vittori landing more. They're, it's even-ish, but it's clear that Vittori has the edge. And because of the way Adesanya's cleared out the, the division, Vittori's put himself close to a title shot from 12 to title shot. I mean, it won't be directly 12 to title shot. But um, yeah. He was probably the next contender, Hermanson, if he won here. Especially if he won, um, you know, with some uh, pizzazz, with uh, something good, something cool. Uh, The final round goes similarly again, but Hermansen tries a desperate heel hook at the end, so at least he's trying something. Doesn't work. Vittori wins, says after the fight that he could have done a lot better, even though all the commentators are really impressed with his performance. And Anak asks who's next, and he calls out Boracina, the eraser, Paulo Costa. What a good call out! That's a very good call out for Vittori, not just because that is a guy that you can beat and get a title shot off, but it makes sense. He's coming off a loss. Uh, it makes sense if he's to take Jack Amanson's place in the rankings. I'm sure Polo Costa is, you know, two, three, uh, one, two, or three. Um, I don't know who one otherwise would be. I would look it up if it wouldn't take too long. Um, but also just the fact that that'll be a fun fight. I mean, Vittorio's quite happy to stand in front of him and pound it out with another buff head like him. So... Yeah, that'd be a fun fight, I think. That'd be a cool one. Um, Good call-out. That's what he should be doing. I wonder if, though, the fact that Vittori is Italian... um, Oh, well... That just ruined that idea straight away. I was thinking... You know, it's kind of... I think Adesanya's the type of guy that would get a kick out of defending his world championship around the world. So if they were to, you know, uh, do a, not a pay-per-view maybe, but just like a title defense in, oh, that's probably what would ruin it though, the fact that they can't do a pay-per-view over there um, because it'd have to be like six in the morning or something for it to be the normal time in the United States. But, well, anyway, if, and it wouldn't, well, you know what? Vittori's not gonna do money on pay-per-view anyway. And I obviously he's the B side, but I don't know. I like that idea of like you defending the world championship around the world and obviously they would draw a crowd in Italy. Italians love Italians. They're uh unique in that sense. No, oh, that's a joke, I'm just kidding. I love Italians. Um But yeah, it's uh an opportunity if if he gets through the eraser, if he is not erased, if he has a pen. In other UFC news, Yol Romero was released from his contract. Dana White explained that he won't be the last, with 60 cuts before the end of the year projected. On Yoel in particular, though, White pointed out that he has lost four of his last five. He's 44 years old, and he's probably he. Daniel, White didn't mention this, but he's probably on a, a fair bit of money, so, you know, budget cuts. Um, well, I mean, there's not really... Well, it's it's a budget cut when they don't necessarily need to budget cut, but businesses do that. Not fired, but suspended, was Yair Rodriguez, six months, by USADA, for failing to file his location for random testing. So he must have... Messed around an agent, and then another bit of news is that Khabib Nurmagomedov. You know what? I should have got that the first time round. I'm tempted to edit this. Khabib Nurmagomedov, and I still messed it up, has purchased MMA promotion Guerrilla Fighting Championship, and he's going to rename it or rebrand it, or he has done Eagle Fighting Championships, based in Russia. And he wants to work with UFC as a feeder promotion, similar to how M1 currently operates. So, keep an eye on that. Quick note here, there was the boxing pay-per-view at the same time out of uh, the at Stadium. It was um, Errol Spence versus Danny Garcia for the WBC and IBF World Welterweight titles. Spence is coming back from a... he was involved in a high-speed vehicle accident a year ago, roughly. He was drink-driving his Ferrari, not wearing a seatbelt, went through the windshield and miraculously escaped with no broken bones. Um, And this is his return against Danny Garcia, who's no joke, former world champion, that has only lost to the very best in the sport. I think it's um, Thurman. Gee, it doesn't matter. Anyway, the, the top guys. And... Spence continues his record. Unanimous decision in his favor. He's got a... That's his 27th win without a loss. And... Um, oh, Terrence Crawford's another one. Garcia's lost to you? I'm pretty sure. But that's the fight to make with um, Spence. I think boxing politics is... Maybe going to keep those two apart, but... Um, I think that's... I mean, Thurman's in there too, but... I think that's really the... It's Errol Spence, Terence Crawford. They're the undefeated guys. That's the big... True welterweight king championship match. That will probably not happen. They'll have him fight Jake Paul instead. There was one match I wanted to get to that I didn't. But I will watch it. I might watch it straight after this. Uh, I heard great things about... A Noah show that also took place on the sixth on this Sunday, um, a GHC heavyweight championship match between Go Shizaki and Takashi, or Takahashi Segura. So uh, I'm gonna, I've got the link right there. I'm gonna watch that, but let's finish this off first because we're running out of time. Impact Wrestling, all the AEW fans had to check out Impact Wrestling on the 9th to find out what Omega's doing with this AEW title. And the show opens with highlights from the championship match between Moxley and Omega. A little bit later, there's a uh, like a mock ad. But it's Tony Khan, Tony Schiavone. Uh, they say they paid for this ad. I don't know if... It was like purposely retro. I don't know if they just liked that idea or if that was kind of... That they were cheaping out on how much they paid for the ad. I don't know what the exact idea behind that was, but Khan does most of the talking. He's pretty passive aggressive about the situation, but I like that. I like that that's what his gimmick is here. Um, And we eventually get to the interview with Omega and Callus. most unfortunately conducted by Josh Matthews. Uh, Callus takes this opportunity on camera to unscrew the nameplate of Moxley and put Omega's nameplate on the title belt and Callus explains Omega's career has been guided by him all along and this AEW title screw job was a long time coming. He does most of the talking but Omega chimes in at the end. He calls himself a collector. He starts comer- uh, comparing the titles from around the world to original comic books like the first Superman comic is the AEW title and first Spider-Man is the impact title, stuff like that. Um, and and you know what, in fairness, those comics are probably worth more than those championship belts are. I don't know. I wouldn't, I don't know how many of them are in production. I don't know much about those things, but I guess like a mint, first edition Superman comic or graphic novel. Um, why is a comic a bad thing? I guess because that's what's in a newspaper. It's not a comic, you know. But I don't know. Just call it a comic. Oh, that's a cool name. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd be somewhat aghast. But I wouldn't be surprised if that went for like $50,000. Or you know what? Even $100,000. If someone said, did you know that they go for $100,000 if you have a mint condition? Because what are they from? The 50s? Yeah. I could buy that. I mean, I could not buy that. Sorry. I could buy that idea. I certainly could not buy that comic if that's the price. And would not. But I don't think it cost $100,000 to create the AEW world title as pretty as it is. So I feel that's fair. Uh, It's nerdy. It's different. But it's Omega. That's all right. That's his gimmick. That's his person. That's his being. So... Yeah, basically what he's saying is he wants to collect a bunch of titles, which is a fun gimmick. You know, what's his name? The, um, J, not the J Cup. What was that title in the 90s? New Japan. Oh, come on. I can't remember. But well, there was like eight Cruiserweight titles or light heavyweight titles, or, you know, junior titles, that, um, Asai. what's his name, oh, gosh, what's, Ultimo Dragon, thank you, thank you, fans, calling that out for me, yeah, I don't know, that look is cool, it's, um, a bit different when they're, like, world, world titles, the top titles in the company, but, nah, eh, you can take the Impact title, That's good for Impact, I imagine, uh, and then he says he's got a big announcement for tomorrow night, and he signs off with goodbye and good night." bang. I haven't heard that for a while. Although I don't watch AEW, so where would I hear it? So. There was another Shockwave episode. I decided to watch this, NWA Shockwave on the 9th. Straight away, I noticed this episode is nearly twice as long as the first one was. But I must say, I like Joe Gelly. I understand why Corgan has kept him on retainer. He's the host of the show and the play-by-play on commentary alongside Alyssa Marino and Todd Kennelly, who are also pretty good. Alyssa in particular, just because a female voice, it's sometimes, it's it's a bit different, you know, there's, there's not a lot of female commentators. Um, so it stands out a little bit, which can make her, I think, the subject of more intense scrutiny for that reason, that, that it stands out. But you know what? I thought she was good. Um, I hope that didn't sound condescending. I know. I th- think she's done some of this work before. It certainly sounded like it, but I'm not that familiar with her. So, no, I, I thought the commentary on the show was good. Uh, we have another Camille match. Man, I wish I had her body, like, as a man. Me, as a man, I would be more masculine, even with those boobs, Instead of these boobs. Uh, no, and not to say that Camille looks masculine, because she's still very attractive. Although, personally, I, an objectifying chauvinistic piece of shit man-pig, found her more attractive before she got so cut. But, as a wrestler, she looks badass. I'm all for it. And the more traditionally pretty woman opposite her is quite exaggerated, in her movements. But don't mistake that for laying it in. Because it's the opposite. She winds up and then stops. Inches from her opponent. All of her offense looks like she's playing with a child. Camille wins with a spear. Which looked pretty good. Kind of wish she laid it in harder. This is how you wrestle. Connection is required. Bang! Aaron Stevens got a new gi in black and yellow. Which is not very traditional colors. But then again, I'm not familiar with the traditions of Mongrovian karate. So uh, he cuts a funny little promo. He faces Trevor Murdoch next week for the national title that Aaron Stevens possesses. We had Eli Drake versus Watts. And these two jaw jack at each other. And... This, made, this reminded me I think I've talked about it before but the NWA has a lot of good promo guys so as far as silent audiences go I think the NWA has a decent chance of making something of that by turning up the in-ring trash talk you know you, 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 you can't usually hear that so it, it brings something different um, so one of the things Watts is saying is he thinks the fans at home are chanting for him he's full of confidence this guy But uh, that works against him because in the end, he's taken the time to taunt when he's got Drake in a bad position, a vulnerable position. And rather than just finish him after an otherwise even match, Drake takes that opportunity to counter and finish Watts uh, to pick up the win. By the way, Watts is probably this fellow's surname, but in WWE fashion, for whatever reason, he just goes by Watts. That's it. That's his name. And then the main event was NWA Women's Championship. Uh, the champion being Thunder Rosa, defending against Priscilla Kelly, who's uh, not a bad promo. She cuts one before the match, and she's got a good look too. Um, can't say I paid full attention to the match, but it because it was kind of long. It went for over 20 minutes. And, you know, I'm sorry, but there was a lot of wrestling for me to get through. I'm kind of skipping through it a little bit. Um, but it actually looked like it was a pretty good match from the... I, you know, watched a little bit and then kind of skipped ahead a little bit, watched a little bit. It was pretty good. And I like Rosa. Been a fan of her since NWA restarted. Um, And it was the Thunder Driver that gets it done for her to retain the title. Uh, That's that's another one, I think, kind of similar to New Japan Strong. I would be taken out of it a bit more if I watched AEW because I believe... I don't know if Roser even has the title anymore because they've been defending it on AEW. So I don't know if that's there might be a bit of a issue in continuity there. Um, MLW Fusion 113 coming to you from some empty warehouse. Calvin Tankman is back and he squashes poor Zenshi. Well, you know what? It's not really a, a squash. Zenshi puts up a fight. Uh, his kicks in particular caused Tankman some trouble, but uh, he he gets Tankman down, he goes for a dive off the top rope, and Tankman hits him with a spinning back elbow, uh, which stops him on a dime. A driver ends his night relatively early. Again, not a squash, but not far off it either. Tankman is claiming that uh, that's just a small taste of what the heavyweight hustle Is He, as the heavyweight hustle, is bringing... Whatever. That was what his promo said. Team Filthy's newest member is Kevin Koo. And he joins Dominic Garini to create Violences Forever and take on Jobbers, Duggan and and, uh, Marta. And it was a Garini brain buster with a kick from Koo for good measure to get the job done quickly. That was a squash match. And then we have... um, Upper cup semi-final, Loki versus Richard Holiday. For some reason these guys had a pretty even contest. Uh, I mean obviously Holiday has a size advantage, but Loki, I don't know. I feel like he's kind of on a different level here, like a world championship-ish level. So I mean he does win in the end. It's a double-foot stomp off the top rope and I think he calls that Warrior's Wrath in this promotion at least and uh yeah that ends the contest and sends Loki into the Opera Cup final so um oh and he had a look at the Caribbean title as well that Holiday possesses so i guess these two might have another match for that then the main event on this show was the MLW World Tag Team Championship the Von Erichs Marshall and Ross Von Erich the champions Defending against Contra, Jacob Part and Simon Gotch. Stranglehold is a great entrance theme, by the way, which is the Von Erichs' entrance theme, and they rightly continue playing it while the fight goes on before the bell, because Contra meet the Von Erichs on the ramp, and then um, yeah, they, I mean it, it, it starts it starts as a brawl there's a bit of a match in between and then it ends as a brawl Team Filthy come out they interfere the match is likely thrown out but we don't know yet because the show ends while there's just a big commotion now um, Glate had another event well not another event I think this was a part of the same taping Uh, this is on the 10th of December it was uh, match number two so they're just kind of I don't know they, they did a few experimental matches and um, I don't know what was experimental about this one uh, Takanori Ido versus Yutaka Yoshi and, cause last week it was uh, you know last week the week prior to this event they released the other Glade show that I talked about I'm saying Glade now I caught up with that pretty quickly that's good um, it was Wantanabe who was the other original Glate fighter signed, and um, this time Ido is 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 was the second and um, signed fighter, official fighter for Glate, and uh, he takes on the veteran of uh, new and all Japan history, Yoshi. But uh, poor old Yosh isn't moving too great. If he falls on top of you, though, look out. That could be the end of the match. In fact, his uh, Boston Crab in this match looked particularly painful because while he barely had a grip on Edo's legs, it's more the fact that he is crushing the small of Edo's back with his, let's say, heaviest portion. The match is fine for what it is. I Again, I just didn't understand what was experimental about it. They just had a conventional pro wrestling match. Um, pro I mean, again, perhaps the commentary adds something to this that I don't know about. Uh, Ito threw some hard kicks, and he tried his best to lift Yoshi. Eventually, he was able to do it. Um, probably threw his back out doing a back suplex, only for a two count. Um, yeah, there's no points in this one. It's not UWF rules. So, that's it. Yoshi wins with a splash off the top. And yeah, so, Ito is Dead. You had a good run, kid. R.I.P. We'll see what else comes out of Glate. I'll, uh, I'm will i going to keep in touch with it because um, I'm interested to see what they do. But I think we're at the end here. AEW Dynamite. I uh, thought, well, I may as well check out what happens, what follows. We have Sting talking. We have uh, Omega back. Um... And if you're excited to hear me talk about AEW, my apologies. This is probably the last time for a while. So we had another ridiculous Cody Rhodes entrance. And I mean, it's pretty great, by the way. It's just so over the top for TV, let alone an entrance on TV for a promo segment. That's just going to be a few minutes. They spent a quarter of the budget on this bloke alone, on his bloody entrance. Oh, see? Because the lights go out. Oh, they can't even afford the... Oh, no, wait, it's Sting. So, the snow's back. And they... uh, I mean, they had this huge over-the-top entrance for Cody right before the entrance for the guy that they're trying to draw ratings out of. By the way, just making a note. I mean, Sting got some fake snow, but Cody had, like fireworks going off there's fire the lights go out the lights come on he's on his raised platform in his you know designer outfit oh it's ridiculous um okay so uh but double a came out with um cody and he grabs the mic and he says hey look you guys got business together i'm gonna leave it between you and he walks off um i don't know why he came out in the first place I guess, well, I guess he, you would usually cut a promo with Cody. Whatever. That's fine. Um, Sting takes the mic and, um, asks for a hug from Shivani. And then, uh, he talks just like a normal, real person, which is refreshing in some ways, but it's also not completely fitting his gimmick. Um,. Oh, but I don't know. It depends what direction they're going to take with him, I suppose. Um, I mean, you know, his gimmick's kind of gone now. That was 1997. That's 23 years ago. Um, anyway, so Cody says he's been waiting a long time to share the ring with Sting. And Sting's just got no interest. He just walks past and points instead at Darby Allen, who's sitting brooding in the audience with his TNT title. He doesn't make a direct challenge, uh, does Sting, but he does pledge to stick around. So that was the Sting thing. And then the Omega thing was a helicopter touches down and Omega swings the door open, slowly followed by Don Callis, obviously not used to getting out of helicopters. Don't have helicopters on impact, do you not, Don? And uh, yeah, Callis says they created AEW because, or he did, Well, he says they, but because they put together the Omega versus Jericho match that Khan himself admitted started All Elite Wrestling. So Omega calls his match with Moxley a seven-star classic and uh, signs off again with goodbye, goodnight. But I, I don't know. Maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention. I don't know what his big announcement was. I must have missed it. But it doesn't really matter because I'm not that into this. I was already like... I skipped through the show and just... Again, I don't I don't wanna shit on it. If you enjoy it, that's good. I'm glad. I want these guys to be successful. I just I don't this 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 Hollywood this bad acting, this I mean it's better acting than WWE, but I don't know. The soap opera stuff doesn't get me going. It's just not for me. That's fine. You have it. Enjoy it. Love it. Cherish it. Um I will say this though, it's nice to have the old Kenny back. He kind of reminded me of uh the when he was like ...freshly the leader of Bullet Club... ...and he had something to prove... ...and he was still a heel... ...um... ...not that... ...end of the run... ...Bullet Club leader Kenny... ...when he's... ...it's all infighting with the... ...oh that stuff sucked... ...but... ...that brings us to the end... ...uh... ...at an hour and a half here... ...wow... ...I must apologise if... ...uh... ...this was a bit rusty... ...um... ...but... ...yeah... ...been off a little while... ...I hope not to have another break to keep it consistent internet's connected now i'm all set up um shouldn't be any problems from here so until next time which should be next week have a good one